0: Through three. But King Solomon loved many strange women, together with the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites, and of nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall not go into them, and neither shall they come in unto you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love, and he had seven hundred wives, princesses in three hundred concubines and his wives turned his heart. If you'd allow me for just the next little bit, I'd like to teach you on the topic the consequences of a complacent heart. If you put your Bibles down, lift your hands, God ask you right now that you touch us, Lord, that minds and hearts will be open to your word and God anoint your servant to deliver it with understanding, and to give knowledge. In the name of Jesus, I pray, let your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The pastor came to me several weeks ago, and fortunately this time I had more than two days to prepare. Um, um, The last time it was kind of very short notice. But I began to think immediately that What do I want to speak on? You know, I want to make sure I'm prepared. I want to make sure I do good. And on the way home, directly after you'd asked me, I hear an advertisement on the radio, virtual imaging. Come get your heart checked. You know, you might have blockages. And the Lord spoke to me and said, talk about that. I said, "Uh, okay. So I had notes on something. I think my first fresh five here several years ago, I had talked about, Proverbs 4, it was just a quick five minutes, but I was familiar with the passage and kind of knew where to take it, and you know, I've noticed over the past month, I knew what direction I was going three weeks ago, and I've noticed over the past several weeks, Wednesday night by Sunday morning, by Sunday afternoon, keep compounding the same theme, different facets of the same word coming out, and it wasn't until this Sunday that I was for sure and for certain until Brother George got up, and he talked about being lost in the house. And the Lord spoke to me and said, I told you, that is what I want you to teach. You know, I don't do this often. So I was kind of out of my groove, so to speak. So that thought has grown. And you see, the heart, I've always been fascinated with how things work. As a child, you would most likely find me taking apart stuff. I didn't really know how to put it back together. But I wanted to take it apart because I wanted to know its function. I wanted to know how it worked, and there was, there's that show they have now, I I would have been in heaven if they would have had this show when I was a kid, how it's made, I mean, I'll sit there for 30 minutes and watch how they make a wooden pencil, it's awesome, you know, to see the little machines and all the process that goes into it, I I love that kind of stuff, at some time in my early teens, I wanted to be a cardiologist, or so I thought, you know, I, I, I would watch all these movies and shows, and try to find information. I go to the encyclopedia, see if I can find pictures of open heart surgery. I wanted to know how it functioned. I wanted to know how it all worked. Leonardo da Vinci in 1507, he gave the world the first glimpse of the heart. To this day, his diagram, it's one of the most accurate of the time, is still baffles scientists about how much intuition he had as to his function that long ago. And they still use his work. But tonight, that is not the heart that I'm going to be talking about. Not the one that beats in your chest and keeps blood flowing through your body. But I'm going to talk about the spiritual aspect of your heart. Now, Proverbs 4.23, it says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Another translation of that says, Guard your heart above all things, for it is the wellspring of life. Now, I was preparing for my first revival many years ago. I got in a call. I was so excited. I had to call my dad. I was like, Dad, I thought I was just going to preach. up a Sunday, man, he's having me Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night. But I don't know what to do. I've only ever done one service. You know, I'm 24 years old. I don't have that much experience under my belt. And so I began to study, and I had come across this passage, and I had heard it used several times. And I, for the life of me, wanted to have a theme going through those four nights and kind of build that last night of this revival. But I was stuck on figuring out how to make this work. I got a phone call from a buddy of mine, and so I stepped away, and all of a sudden I hear Eddie James in the background of his phone saying, Out of your belly! And I'm like, Oh, hey, buddy, i got to call you back. Give me just a minute. Hung up the phone. I went and looked in the Bible, and I said, That makes sense. That's what I'm looking for. Because in John 4.10, Jesus went to ask for a drink. And the woman at the well is very shocked by this statement because she's a Samaritan. She says, why, why are you asking me for a drink? And in verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. From whence hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinketh of the water that I shall give them shall never thirst, but in them shall be a well of living water springing up into everlasting life. Another passage at a great feast in John 7, verses 37 to 39. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now, how does that fit? So Jesus has said, After you receive this living water, this represents the Holy Ghost. And soon you're going to understand, because after I'm gone, the day of Pentecost is going to come. They don't know any of this yet. But what is a wellspring? Any, anybody know what a wellspring is? Webster defines a wellspring as a source of continual supply. Wellsprings feed rivers. Sometimes it's from an aquifer under the ground. Sometimes it's from a lake that trickles down into streams, turning into the Mississippi River. The Mississippi River starts in a lake. The wide river that floods the banks in St. Louis all the time, it starts with a lake. That's its wellspring. So Proverbs 4 tells us to guard our heart because that is the source of living water. Moses was very explicit with this. In Deuteronomy 6 and 4, we know it is the Shema. Shema Yisrael, Adonai Elohim, Adonai Echad. He said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, with all of thy soul, and with all of thy might. Furthermore, he says, And the words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently to thy children, and shalt talk about them when thou sittest down in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them as a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. Some people that I've run across in life, they think that your heart and your soul are one and the same. Not your heart is separate from your soul your soul or your spirit or the Holy Ghost you commune with God that is your soul your heart your flesh that is the desires of the flesh and the carnality of man so Moses says you've got to love God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and you better do it with all of your might because the carnality in your heart will always fight against the spirit, and you have to continually submit your flesh to your spirit. That is why that passage was so important. He said, These words need to be in your heart continually because you've got to constantly remind your flesh to be submissive. When I wake up in the morning, I've got to say, Hey, flesh, you know, you're submitted to the spirit because there are days I've got to be careful because. My flesh might come out, and I might say some stuff that I shouldn't say. It says, furthermore, teach your children, not just here or there, but when you're sitting around, when you go to bed, when you wake up in the morning, when you're out and about, teach them that this is important, that I reside in their heart, but I also want to reside in their spirit. I want both. This is important. That's why they start at such an early age. David would later write many psalms about the heart. But specifically in Psalms 119, and I'm only going to pick out a couple verses, verse one and two said, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the way of the Lord. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. Skipping down to verse 10, 11, with my whole heart, I have sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Now, David did not have the Bible we have. He did not have the passages we have. David had the Ten Commandments, the law of Moses, the Shema. He had the words that Moses spoke in Deuteronomy, and that's what he had to go by. But that was enough to hide in his heart. We all know David had his failings. I'll get to that shortly. But let's talk about Solomon. David and Solomon are two of my favorite characters of the Bible. Since I was a young boy and I felt called to preach My very first message I was studying on David But I got led a different direction But he's still my favorite I, I, I always come back to read Kings and Chronicles and Samuel But in 1 Kings 11 And I'm going to read the whole passage this time 1 through 11 it says, but King Solomon, he loved many strange women And those wives, they turned his heart And we know he had 700 of them 700 wives, 300 concubines 1,000 in all Said, for it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his hearts after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom the abomination of the Ammonites, and Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. Then did Solomon build a high place for Shemash, the abomination of Moab in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all of his strange wives, which burned incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon, and his heart was turned from him, because his heart was the term from the Lord of God of Israel, which had appeared in him twice. So God's already warned Solomon in previous scriptures, saying, hey, don't do that. He did it anyway. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, for so much as is done of thee, thou hast not kept my covenant, and my statutes which I have commanded thee. I will surely rend the kingdom and give it to thy servant. Solomon had it made. He really had it made. We read about his wisdom. When he has come to the throne, he asks God, give me wisdom that I may judge this great people, for I am but a child. I don't know what I'm doing. And in turn, God did give him wisdom, but he also gave him great wealth. If you calculate it out, The man was bringing in about a billion dollars a year in gold and in tribute from other kings. His throne, made of gold and ivory, takes four verses to describe six lions on each side going down six steps, overlaid in pure gold. The man had everything. He was what you would call on the earth, not referring to God, a king of kings. He ruled over other kings. They looked to him for his wisdom in their own kingdom. But Solomon turned his heart, and in turn, he turned the heart and the promise of God. You know, as a teen, like man, Solomon, you got it made, thousand wives player. You know, man, you got all that money. But as a grown man, I say, bro, you brave and a special kind of stupid. You know, I mean, honey, do list times one thousand? No, thank you. No, no thank you. I know it was a different time and the order of things was very different and how all that worked, but no thank you. And it all could have been avoided. You see, I would imagine it didn't happen overnight. I would think it was probably one of his first wives, the one who he had the closest connection to in efforts to please her, created her a shrine a place of worship for her deity. And then a chain reaction would ensue. And others of the wives and concubines would see this and say, hey, I'm not coming to see you until you build me one too. You're not going to get any time with me until I have my own place. And until you build something for me. I don't have any scripture to back that up, but that's how I think it happened. His first error was not heeding God in his marital decision. Anybody on that one? He, he went for wives that God had already said, don't go to those people and don't let them come to you. He had been warned before he was king. They knew not to marry these people, yet Solomon did it anyway. And it turned his heart. And God says, I will take the kingdom from you, but for David's sake, I'll wait and take it from your son. Why did God love David so much? They call him the man after God's own heart, yet he was a murderer by proxy and an adulterer and had other failings as well. But why did God love him so much? Because regardless of his faults, David always sought God. When David was an error, he always repented. He was honest with God. I love Pastor's message when he went through and read the Psalms as if you were really talking. He'd say, you know, I... I pray hellfire on my enemies, God. I want you to make them homeless. I want them destitute. David was open with God and had a very good relationship with him. And he didn't hide behind scripted prayers and utterances. He was open and honest. But Solomon did not turn away from his wives or their idols, and thus he set in motion a generational trespass. If you study the kings after Solomon, the kingdom split in two, there are maybe two Out of the several that would follow, that would actually do right and actually do the will of God, the rest of them would follow in Solomon's footsteps. They would keep worshiping idols. They would have many, many wives. And the chaos would ensue until eventually Israel is back in bondage once again. Guarding your heart isn't just about you. Guarding your heart is about your children. It's about your grandchildren and generations to come because choices and decisions that I make now, Avery is seven years old, but one day, hopefully when she's 30, she might get married. You know, I'm putting that off for a while, but one day I'm going to have grandchildren and so on should the Lord tarry. I hope the decisions that I make today aren't going to set them back for trespass generations down the road when I'm long dead and gone. So while I'm reading this, I'm thinking to myself, am I doing everything right that I can to make sure that the generations that follow me know what to do? You always hear through Hollywood or from grandma or everywhere you look really in social media, follow your heart, baby. Trust your heart. That is the worst advice you can ever give your children if you have please don't anymore. And I know it sounds good and you think they make sense of what that is, but that is such bad advice. I've gotten it before and I did it and let's just say the consequences weren't that great. You know, it it was not a good situation. But God is very explicit about this throughout the scripture. Jeremiah 17 and 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart and I try the reins, even Give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. Trust your heart that's deceitful and it's wicked. No, thank you. The heart is full of carnality and it will warp your thinking. And if you do not keep it submitted to the spirit, you see, God says, I'm going to try the reins. I'm going to put you in a position that I'm going to test you from time to time. And it's up to you to decide if you're going to submit to my spirit or if you're going to submit to your flesh. Matthew 12 and 34 through 37 says, O ye generation of vipers, how can ye being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. And a good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you, every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. It's not just about your spirit. If you've got something bad in your heart, it's not going to stay there. It's going to come out of your mouth. Being real, I've got to pray daily. Lord, don't let me cuss anybody out today. That's a struggle I have. It, It really can be a struggle. I've got pretty good reins on it, but there are some days I've got people that really test my patience, and I've got to bite my tongue and say, you know what? I'm not going to do it. The Lord loves you. I want to punch you in the face, but I'm not going to cuss you out. It's a real struggle. I know we all have our little vices and things, but for me, I got I got past all my other demons many years ago, but that one to this day still plagues me. That I'm like, Lord, keep my mouth in check. I know I've got a hot temper. I know Alicia and Latanya, they've known me since I was knee-high to a grasshopper and think I probably walk on clouds and that I'm just so sweet to everybody that I meet, but like the Hulk, you will not like me when I'm angry. I can get very divisive with my words, and God is working on that with me. When your heart isn't right, your words stop being right, and your tongue itself, without aid of your heart, has enough problems. James 3, 3-8, Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouth, that they may obey us, and that we may turn around their whole body, behold also the ships, which, though they be so great, are driven by fierce winds, yet they are turned with a very small helm, whithsoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, so the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. That's pretty deep. You've got hellfire in your tongue. For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And again, to Proverbs 18, he says, A man's belly shall be satisfied with the fruit of his mouth and the increase of his lips shall be filled. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So to bring this all together. Guard your heart because it's the wellspring of life. Because out of your belly is going to flow rivers of living water. Your heart is the source of the living water, the Holy Ghost. When you come into contact with other people, what spirit are you emanating out of yourself? Are they seeing carnality to the flesh or are they feeling the living water flowing off of you? Is your speech telling them, Things you shouldn't be saying? Or are they recognizing that there's something different about you? Because if you've got something in your heart that's not right, you're probably going to end up saying something that's not right. Out of the abundance of the heart, your mouth will speak. And if you've got a capstone on your heart, that's why the devil, he wants your mind and he wants your heart. He wants to put a capstone or better yet a dam around your heart to keep the river from flowing. He'll say, hey, When you get to church on Sunday, I'm going to release the floodgates for a minute and let you feel a little something. But as soon as you leave and go back from church, let's shut it off. So Monday, you know, you just got to deal with it. You end up being a dry riverbed that no one can come and drink from. What's in your heart will come out. You say, I come to every service. I sing, I worship, I've got it together for the most part. I slip here or there, no big deal. I'd like to share with you one of the saddest stories ever told. In First Chronicles thirteen seven through twelve, and they carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab. Uzzah and Ahio drave the cart, and David and all of Israel played before God with all of their might, and with singing and with harps and psalteries and with timbrels and with cymbals and with trumpets. And when they came under the threshing floor of Shadon, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him because he put his hand on the ark. And there he died before God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach on Uzzah. Wherefore, that place is called Perez-Uzzah to this day. And so David was afraid of God that day, saying, How shall I bring the ark of God to me? I always struggled with that passage. I I really, really did. Why did he kill him? He, He was just trying to keep it from falling over. Why would that kindle God's anger so much? but it goes much deeper because that is not the only place that that story is recorded. It is also recorded in 2 Samuel 6 and 3. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ohel, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. You notice anything? First Samuel 7, 1 through 2. And the men of kirjath came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill and sanctified Eliezer, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass that while the ark abode in Kirjath-Jerim, the time was long, for it was twenty years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Uzzah was no stranger to the ark. He grew up for twenty years in a house with the ark. It was not some strange vessel in a land far away or in a tabernacle behind closed doors. It was in his home. He lived with glory for 20 years. Uzzah had to have known better, had to have heard the stories of the wilderness, had to have known the law of Moses and what the ark was. Because in Exodus 25, 10 through 15, it says, And thou shalt make me an ark of Shittim wood, and two cubits of the half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof, and thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. And then he goes on to instruct and says, I want you to cast Four rings, two on each side. Then I want you to go make wooden staves, overlay them with pure gold, and they shall go into the rings. It says, And thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the side of the ark, that the ark may be borne with them. And the staves shall be in the rings of the ark, and shall not be taken from it. When God gave Moses all the instruction in Exodus. Before we get to the tabernacle, before we get to the priest, before we get to the law. The very first thing God commissioned Moses was the Ark of the Covenant. He built his way out from glory, the holy of holies, outward, not inward. He said, this is most important. This takes precedence. This will be where I reside on earth. I will dwell between the cherubim. This is important. This is how you make it. This is how you build it. You put these staves in here and you don't take them out. Uzzah had to have known something Being a Hebrew Like I said they didn't have the Bible we have But they had the Torah They had the law of Moses This stuff was repeated generation to generation So that they would know how to serve God So that they would know how to give sacrifice So they would know how things would go So Uzzah was not a dummy At least I hope he wasn't So Uzzah and his brother had it on the cart Which I still think he had to know That this isn't right. This isn't how we transport glory. But he did it anyway. He was complacent in his spirit. Surely he had heard what happened to the men of Beth Shemesh because of what happened right before it was brought to his home. When they brought the ark to Kedahat-Jerim, it first went to Beth Shemesh. It says, when the ark was returned from the Philistines, you see the Philistines had taken it, and they had it seven months, and they decided to send it back because God was smiting them with death and with boils and with tumors. And they even went so far as to say, Look, we're not even going to take it in person, tie two cows together, put a cart behind it, load the ark up, send it on its way, and if it turns to Beth Shemesh, we will know that the Lord God was behind all of this and it didn't just happen. So they go on and say, You know what? We're going to give a trespass offering because they knew they had done wrong. God had been smiting them for seven months and sends them on their way. And the men of Beth Shemesh see the ark coming and they rejoice. They make sacrifice, they get it down off the cart. And then all of a sudden it says, and God smote the men of Beth Shemesh, 50,000 in all, because they looked inside the ark. They opened it up and looked inside, and God killed them, 50,000 plus men in all. You can't tell me Uzzah didn't hear about that right down the road before they came and put it in his living room. And the cart wasn't a learned idea. It wasn't new. It wasn't something that they just thought of. Uzzah got the idea, or whoever did, from the Philistines. The only two times the ark is transported on a cart, when the Philistines sent it back and when Uzzah took it on the threshing floor. It was learned. It wasn't created by him. It wasn't just an idea he had. He said, oh, they did it that way. Let's try that. Heart cancer is a very rare thing. Mayo Clinic did a study, and of 12,000 cases, less than 1% actually originate in the heart. The other 99 plus percent originate from close organs, esophagus, things that surround the heart. I see so-and-so in that church across town. They don't have to feel bad about this or that. That preacher doesn't make me feel bad, and I always leave his church with a smile And I don't feel convicted convicted on hellfire That church doesn't harp on standards down the road And they don't really harp on doctrine It's a feel good message And I leave feeling great Am I making sense to anybody? Now I'm 35 years old But I'm also a very huge nerd I still play with Legos I'm, I'm just going to admit it So And I've done so for 30 plus years. And I've always enjoyed it. You get the box and you see the picture. Now, after 30 years of doing it, a lot of sets, I could look at it and I could get you pretty close without instructions. Because I've learned a lot of methods over the years about how all these pieces work and go together. And there's a lot of them. I've got a set now I won't even attempt until I've got plenty of time because it's 9,000 pieces. I have the ability and the knowledge that I can go and I can build it but I'm not going to do it without going through book that's this thick that shows me step by step. Because while I may be able to make it look like the picture, when I open up the instructions, it's not showing me the finished product. It shows me one piece. You take this piece and put it on this piece. Then you take those pieces and you put them together, and it takes you step by step. And by the end of it, those first few pieces that you started with, you can't even see them. But they're important because they create a framework of what you are building. I've got my daughter into building them, and she comes to me sometimes. I can hear her and, oh, I just can't get it. I'm like, baby, what's wrong? She goes, well, I followed the directions, and it's not turning out right. And I'll look at it. Baby, back here about three steps. That piece needs to be this way, and that piece needs to be over here. You didn't follow the directions. You just did your own thing. Take it apart. Start over. Oh, she'll get upset, but now she knows if I tell her to start over, it'll be so much better when you do. Kind of like your heart. There are things in this Bible. This is an instruction manual. There are things that are in here that are important. It may not feel good. It may not seem important to you. But it's important for your children to learn them, for you to have learned them from an early age. Because sometime down the road, when you get to your finished product, it's the small things in here that seem insignificant that you're going to depend on to keep your heart submitted to the Spirit. Uzzah knew things weren't right, and he did it anyway. Just Him and his brother at the center of it all The right songs were being sung There was worship When pastor started his Bit on the threshing floor It hit me like a ton of bricks Notice where he died He died on a threshing floor The oxen stumbled on a flat surface That it was used to treading It wasn't muddy It wasn't slippery It was firm ground that the oxen knew well God was separating things Out of Israel, showing he was not pleased with Uzzah's heart and with how things were being done. Just being at church isn't enough. You can dress the part, you can act the part, you can sing the right song, shout, dance, and still go to hell from a church pew. I've seen it happen. Men that pastored me, that were my youth pastor, I don't even know where they're at today because I know they're not living for God, and yet they did so many great things. Yet I fear that if the Lord should come and they're not ready, they're going to burn in hellfire like they tried to teach me to avoid. You can't be that close to glory and not know. And David learned a valuable lesson that day. In 1 Chronicles 15, the second verse, and David said, none ought to carry the ark of God, but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. And he said unto them, in verse 12, and he said unto them, you are the chief fathers of the Levites. Go and sanctify yourselves, both ye and your brethren, that ye may bring up the ark of God of Israel into the place that I prepared for it. Because ye did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought him not, After the due order. That's why David was a man after God's own heart, because he learned from mistakes and trespasses that were made. All those people that were around, they had to know you don't transport it on the ark. David corrected the error when he realized what had happened. It is so vital that we keep our hearts in check. And if you would just come play shortly. And I'm closing. I hope I haven't kept you too long. But I've taught this, and I just wanted to read a bunch of scripture and give you my thoughts on it, because for the past three weeks, I'm not speaking anything to you that I have not been dealing with myself. The past three weeks has been open-heart surgery. I feel like every time I pick up my Bible, I have a scalpel in my hand because I'm walking around figuring, hey, does that please God? Am I really doing right? Am I really pleasing him with my words and with my actions? I felt so convicted. God spoke to me last week and he said, I have missed you. You haven't spent this much time with me since you were a boy. I remember a time, 12 and 13 years old, I would spend hours in the Bible. My dad would give me a concordance. I would spend so much time, and I'd go to my dad, and I'd say, Dad, look, look what I found. Do you think this would help you in your sermon? And a lot of times it would. He would use the things that I would study, and he became so proud. He'd say, son, you do a better job than most grown men at reading this word. And God convicted my heart, and he said, what happened? Why don't you spend the time with me that you used to? You're involved in ministry, yet you are missing what I have for you. Guarding your heart means being in the Word of God, opening it daily. Guarding your heart means being in submission to the Spirit. And I'm not just talking about your prayer life. I'm talking about being submitted to your pastor, to your man of God. When I first came here, Pastor Chavis said he knew my background. He knew I was raised in church. He knew I had evangelized. He knew that I had made several mistakes. That's a story for another time. And he said, Andrew, I'm going to use you, but I need you to be patient. Trust my process. Sit back and soak it in. And just... Pray. I'm only standing here today because I submitted to a man of God. I don't take any major action in my life. I'm 35 years old. I can do what I want, say what I want, and go where I want, but I am submitted to my man of God. I am submitted to him because I need that covering over my life. I'm 35-year-old single dad, but before I go to remarry, I'm going to ask my pastor, before I even ask the girl out on a date, do you think that's okay? I can make my own choice, but I want his blessing on the choices I make because by submitting to him, I am submitted to God, and I keep my flesh in check. We need to check our hearts, church, because there's a revival coming. There's a great revival coming, and there's going to be people flooding into this building. And you know what comes with that? There's going to be some pretty good singers. There's going to be some people that they have giftings and talents that you may or may not have. You need to guard your heart and your words because, praise team, those of you that you're in here, when that singer gets up here and they sing the song that used to be your solo, keep your heart in check that you're not jealous. That you say, you know what, you're doing such a fantastic job. Speakers, when someone comes into this church that maybe they don't have the experience you have and they get up here and they might fumble around a bit, you know what, let me take you under my wing, let me let me help you, let me show you what you can do. Don't sit back and be like, oh, I could have done it better. God convicted me at 24 years old, a young man got up to preach. I had no clue of his background, but I sat there in the back because I was a superintendent's son, I was an evangelist and pastor's son. I had been in pulpits since I was 10 years old. I had all the skill. And I sat there and said, Man, why didn't they just use me? I wouldn't be up there saying, like, uh, and stumbling over the scriptures. And God convicted me and said, Who are you to judge who I use? Who are you to judge who I give a gifting? You've had years to prepare. He's had less than one. So, what I did, I talked to Brother Brian about a book that night. I felt so bad. I went on Amazon, I ordered him a book. It's called Speak Like Churchill and Stand Like Lincoln. Because he really struggled with his speech, and I went and found him the next day, and I said, hey, I, th- I think, you know, you should read this. This is going to help. If we could all stand, I'm, I'm coming to a close. I pray this word was an encouragement to you today. Thank you again for tuning in to Truth Chapel's podcast. If you have not yet, please take a moment and leave us a quick review. God bless and have a great rest of your day.